Okay, good morning. Uh, we're just going to give other people a few more minutes to join. Uh, thank you, Amanda. Okay, I'm going to get started. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, today is the August the 28th, 2022. Uh, today's topic is how will the African People's Socialist Party be treated by a colonialist justice system? So before uh, today's episode, I'm going to break it down by an introduction plus some kind of update on the uh, abortion topics, because I've been postponing the abortion topics for a few weeks now. And then I'm going to talk about the, who are these people, the African People's Socialist Party. Now, I'm not affiliated with the, any one of them. And I, have to, uh, I must say that I don't even agree with everything they say, but I do believe they are a political organization. So I'm going to talk about who are they. And then I'm going to talk about what are this chairman O'Malley Yeshitali's predicaments. Basically, the chairman of this organization has his house and his uh, headquarters raided by the FBI recently, pretty much at the same time when Trump's residence was raided. And then I'm going to talk about what could be Chairman O'Malley Yeshitali's strategy moving forward. And uh, he actually talked about it in the KD Helper show, which I enjoy tremendously. Again, even though I might not agree with his political ambition, but I do believe he has the right under the First Amendment to do his uh, activist work. And uh, and then lastly, I'm going to conclude uh, with uh, 
so my predictions about uh, his case. As my update has said, you know, I just believe everything mainstream media is talking about these days, Trump and Trump and Trump again. Even though these uh, Omali Yeshitali's case is equally astonishing and, uh, and nobody is willing to talk about this organization. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, it's because, you know, these are the black people's organization very few people cares about, especially the corporate media. So without further ado, I want to just quickly give you guys an update on the abortion topics and the news. So I have split this uh, Dobbs decision topic into four different episodes, and I did two episodes already. The first one's being about how HIPAA, a federal law about someone's health care, uh, health records privacy, could operate together with any law made by the state to ban abortion. And then I talk about the potential banning of abortion medications by the state who ban abortions. Because it's like, if you want to stop all the gun death, then you probably want to ban the guns, right? So I have three more episodes about the Dobbs decision. Uh, I'm going to postpone that for the reason is that there's too, too much going on these days involving the FBI and all that. So I want to give a quick update on the abortion topics. First of all, as you probably know, there's a mother and daughter duo was arre were arrested in Indiana for obtaining abortions through medication. And that is uh, exactly what I have predicted that now the abortion medication can be in the discussion for these lawmakers in the state when they talk about banning abortions. And then I think uh, two days ago, there is a African-American woman by the, Nancy, uh, by the name of Nancy Davis, Nancy Davis, uh, who is 15 weeks pregnant. And she is located in Louisiana. Now she has to travel outside the state to, do a, to get her abortion because she considered that her situation calls for a medically necessary abortion. What will happen to her? Because she hired a lawyer, a pretty, pretty prominent lawyer, to deal with her case. That is very similar with what I wanted to do in episode four. Because in the episode four, I want to talk about this uh, fugitive slave woman by the name of Margaret Garner, who killed her daughter, one of her daughters, because uh, she is about to be, uh, she and her daughters were about to be captured by the by the by her owner and be returned to slavery and she decided to kill one of her babies so to me margaret garner's principle is similar to what the white founding fathers have said give me liberty or give me death so she chose death for her baby for one of her babies you know today if a african american teenager who got pregnant for 15 weeks or whatever over the threshold of a state law and she wants to have an abortion and the state said, no, you cannot. Then that African-American teenager may say, well, you have to give me reparation and justice 
or otherwise I'm not going to give a birth of a child to a miserable world, right? Going back to this founding father, this white person's slogan, give me liberty or give me death. And also I want to postpone, another reason I want to postpone this Dobbs decision episode is that I would love to see, again, this is a little bit cynical here, is that I would love to see a doctor being charged for assisting abortion. That will be interesting. As I told you guys before, I've worked in the healthcare industry. I already see hospitals, physician groups are scrambled to evaluate all the abortions they have performed in the past. They want to evaluate the legal risk associated with themselves personally and for the organization. So the DOPS decisions impact is going to be so profound and so widespread. And I'm just going to wait for more things, more cases to be brought into the, the, into the litigation. So with that said, I'm going to uh, get into this, uh, today's topic. So thanks to the Katie Halper show, uh, Mr. Uh, 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 Omali Yashitali uh, had, a, I think, a, almost a, an hour to tell us, tell the public exactly what happened to him. And uh, I have said before that the tactics that the FBI used against him is far worse as compared to uh, what they did to Donald Trump. And uh, and uh, I have learned quite a bit from uh, what happened and what this chairman's uh, thoughts are at this point, and uh, that gave me some opportunity to 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 comment on what happened to him and what else could happen to him, and what he has said he wanted to do, and also what you know what could happen under this uh, very biased, racially biased, political biased justice system of ours. So as you probably know, I have always said that the American judiciary uh, jurisprudence is completely a fraud. It is always being a tool for the politicians, for the white majoritarian powers. And uh, and the, it is cases after cases that's turned out to be true. And so our country is in the tremendous distress these days. I think uh, the White House, uh, Mr. Joe Biden, President Joe Biden has recently uh, met with a group of historians, and uh, they all they are all telling the president that this country is. Uh, uh, this country's current state of affairs are similar to that of the Civil War. I actually disagree. From what I can see, when the when the when the folks at from the left and the folks from the right both are calling for the uh, defunding of the law enforcement. You know, from the left is uh, defunding the local police. From the right now is defunding the FBI. I consider this is more of a situation before the American Independence War. 
because <coughs> I believe at that time, the country, the people has a common enemy, that is the king. And, uh, and uh, during this, before the civil war, the, the division is more about whether the southern state could secede from the union. And uh, so you actually have a bipolar situation uh, be, uh, before the civil war. That bipolar is uh, North versus South. But uh, during the American independence war, it's the Americans against a totalitarian authority. And I think these days, people, wherever political spectrum you are at, mostly agree that the government really, really sucks. It's getting so big, it's out of control, you know. And uh, just remember, the, uh, the, the IRS recently hired some 80,000 more agents and with more weaponry. Literally, the taxation, power of taxation and the enforcement has drastically increased. And just remember, the American Revolution from what I can understand, is triggered primarily because of some taxation, and especially consider it's a taxation without representation. So that is uh, the introduction I want to go over. So now, who are these people? African People's Socialist Party. Based on what I read from the internet, they are basically it's a racial minority group with a global vision for change. You know, whether you agree with them or not, it's not important. I may not agree with them completely, but I, all I know is that they are a, you know, you can call them globalist group. They are a political group, okay? So, so, so I have a talk about, this is what I learned more recently about this, uh, uh, this uh, judicial approval of the U.S. government's policy overseas. Okay, I'm not trying to uh, confuse you. Remember, I've said this group or the African People's Socialist Party is a global group. They are pan-Africanist. They treat the, the racial discrimination within the United States the same as the colonial rule of the African countries, okay? So coming back here, what I have found out is that through the insular cases decided in 1903 or 1907, the U.S. Supreme Court actually approved the U.S. government's conduct overseas, whether being in a, uh, in a U.S. territory such as Puerto Rico, Guam, or Philippines, or it can be other countries, such as in Vietnam, in Afghanistan, or in Iraq. Basically, I was very naive in the past is that the US courts usually shy away from foreign affairs under the constitution. So they are usually silent, whatever the US government is doing overseas being torture, being whatever. But now I have learned from the insular cases, the US uh, courts actually approve 
a lot of unconstitutional conduct by the U.S. government overseas, right? Now, so you can link this with this uh, pan-Africanist group. So you will not be too surprised that why these people have this global vision for change, okay? You may not need to agree with them, but you can understand why they have this global perspective. So I'm gonna say our colonialistic justice system legally approved that the US government may have a standing army overseas in any countries. We have a lot of bases. You know. Our declaration of independence is against British king have a standing army in the continent of America. But we now is sending out standing army in Germany, in Poland, in Japan, in Korea, in many, many places. We're doing exactly what we don't want to happen to us. But our justice and our courts approve that. And our court also approved that the U.S. government may treat inhabitants of those foreign territories, being a U.S. territory or foreign countries, with a deliberate disregard of the Constitution. Okay, taking that in, and at the same time, if a, you are a domestic American living in the, in the United States, such as this African People's Socialist Party, the domestic American cannot have any association with the foreign governments when exercising their First Amendment rights, such as organizing a political group. That is particularly true with the racial minorities. Okay, as a Chinese American, I am, you know, even though not, li not literally, but as a rule, not to be associated with any Chinese entities, all right? Because I'm a racial minority, not because the, the First Amendment prohibits that. The First Amendment actually encouraged that, saying the government has no, no authority to stop this. So now I'm gonna apply this to this African People's Socialist Party. So let me read some of the description of this organization from the internet, okay? The African People's Socialist Party is a pan-Africanist political party and organization working towards reparations for slavery in the United States, identifying ideologically with African internationalism and African socialism. The party was formed in May 1972 by the merger of three black power organizations based in Florida and Kentucky. Omari Yashitila, one of the original co-founders, leads the organization as of 2019. The, 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 this group's goal is stated is to keep the black power movement alive, defend the countless Africans locked up by the counterinsurgency and develop relationships with Africa and Africans worldwide. And I'm gonna add some of my comments here. Reading this, again, I'm not disagreeing, agreeing with them. But do know this, think of Obama, Barack Obama. He is half Kenyan and half white. Did, did he develop any meaningful relationships with Africa 
and the Africans worldwide during eight years of his term? You know, for good or bad purposes, did he do anything? Nothing, right? So again, I'm not trying to say what these African People's Socialist Party doing is right or wrong. I'm just saying, do they have the rights to organize that with African countries or organizations outside the United States? I would say yes. But there's always this taboo for racial minorities to be affiliated with the foreign entities. That racial minority, including Obama, because Obama is already being called a secret Muslim, right? And all that. If Obama tried to have any association with the African entities, the FBI, the FBI, uh, the FBI may start wiretapping him. Why not? No, the FBI can raid Trump's residence. And the J. Edgar Hoover even wiretapped the Supreme Court justices. The FBI pretty much can do anything under the National Security Authority. Okay, so more about this organization. In 1968, Chairman Yeshtala founded the Burning Spear newspaper, which is still published today. The chairman has authored numerous articles pamphlets and books. Chairman O'Malley made reparation a household word. Of course, that's a major no-no. This show is about judicial white privilege. The word white privilege and the word reparation instantly bring a bad taste in many, many white persons' mouth. Instantly. Hostility, hostility will instantly arise when you talk about it, right? So guess who, what's the majority in the FBI? White people, is that right? So as I always said, this judicial white privilege and the white privilege in general has a legal and a governmental construct is basically a white majoritarian democracy. Yes, it is a democracy, but it is a white majoritarian democracy. So back to the reparation, a household word. The, uh, so basically, the chairman has, basically he has made reparation a major purpose of his organization. And uh, he, his organization calculated that the African people in general, African people, that may include, again, global perspective, African people in the United States and outside are owed $4.1 trillion from sto for stolen labor in the US alone. The chairman founded the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement in 1991 as a revolutionary mass organization to defend the democratic rights of the African working class. Today, Chairman O'Malley Yashitala, as the leader of the African Socialist International, speaks to his growing base around the world and leads the worldwide movement for the deliberation of Africa, African people everywhere. So, uh, well, sorry, I, I, I saw someone try to call in, but, uh, but somehow he, he hung up. But anyway, uh, 
probably he will call back. Uh, so that is uh, the section I want to talk about. Who are these people? Again, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with them, but I can tell they are basically a political group, a political activist group. Now, my understanding is that the FBI raid occurred on the same day the, F the DOJ filed a indictment against a Russian citizen living in Russia today for some disinformation crime. I, you know, the, the, the DOJ used a better word, but I read about it quickly. It's just called disinformation crime, meaning this person, this Russian citizen, has been traveling or posting comments on social media, try to spread this information to cause division in the United States. Well, guess what? I mean, you know, I'm going to talk about it a little later. Disagreement is encouraged in a democracy. Okay, whether it's spread by a foreigner or by a domestic person. But somehow the FBI and DOJ believe this guy, Chairman Yashitala, is somehow associated or is, is a co-conspirator of this indicted Russian person. Now imagine, this Russian person will never travel to the United States. We will never be able to extradite him back to the United States. So literally, Chairman Yashitala is going to get stuck with someone who will never be able to testify in his favor whatsoever. A mere allegation that this uh, African People's Socialist Party is uh, somehow associated with this Russian person is good enough to search this guy's house and his office and his organization. Okay, so this is who they are. And that this, uh, the third segment I'm going to talk about, what, is, what are Chair, Chairman Omali Yashitala's predicaments at this time? As, 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 as I have said earlier, being black or being a racial minority is a major disadvantage when it comes to organizing for your political beliefs, okay? Like I said before, if you're Chinese Americans, you better not to get associated with the Chinese entities. I have friends who are tenure professors at very prestigious universities. She's a math professor. I remember back in 2018, she had told me straight, she said, Peter, I never want to get involved with any researchers in China, even though I'm from China. I know a lot of professors there. For the only reason that I don't want to be involved in any of those FBI investigations. Free exchange of academic ideas and researchers are prohibited with any Chinese scholars and researchers because called the guilt by association. So being black and you're organizing some political actions, especially for reparation, that's a major no-no for the white people in the FBI and the DOJ. But the same thing would not be applied to white people. As we know, 
Bernie Sanders, he went to Soviet Union for his honeymoon. I'm very sure he talked to a lot of communists, Soviet, Soviet communists back then. Did the FBI raided his house ever? No. What about Jane Fonda? I admire her when she was young. She's young and beautiful and brave and smart. Did we do anything? Did the, the FBI do anything with Jane Fonda? No. Because white people have the freedom of association with anyone, any entity, anywhere, because that's protected by the First Amendment, but not if you are a racial minority. Now, let me throw out two more recent people still alive, still actively engaged in associations with a foreign entity. Some of them are enemy, uh, uh, USA considered enemy. Neil Bush, the brother of George W. Bush, he is on this uh, CGTN, the television network, run by the Chinese government, talking about maintain, maintaining a peaceful, relationship between China and the United States. He speaks on a communist television network. Did the FBI raided his house or his company? No, he's white, he's rich, he's powerful. What about Hunter Biden? Hunter Biden was known to make millions from the Chinese government-owned entities, right? As a matter of fact, Hunter Biden was the legal, is the lawyer, was a lawyer for a actual communist party member, I'm told, in New York. This guy had some immigration issues or visa issues, and Hunter Biden was his attorney. I'm sure he got paid handsomely for his cocaine habits. Are these people being raided by the FBI? Probably not. Because a free association with any persons and any entities, with any political beliefs, inside and outside the United States, are totally protected by the First Amendment. But historically, as we all know, Association with the foreign countries and foreign nationals by racial minority groups, by a member of a racial minority, especially by leaders of a racial minority groups, are the probable cause by the FBI to target, to all, do all kinds of things. But they are, because they are considered to be a national security threat. Not because you're, there's a real threat, not because uh, Malcolm X or MLK's uh, co-conspiring with the Soviet Union or Communist China to use a violent means to overturn the US government. None of that, just by mere association. Right? So in today's, you know, we all know about what happened to MLK, Malcolm X, some, you know, uh, Black Panthers, all, and uh, 
uh, Fred Hampton and all those people, right? Just remember, in under the constitution of this country, unless you are conspiring to use violent means to overturn the government, then the FBI can investigate you, raid your house and all that, right? The Weather Underground is a group of white, made of white people. They did all kinds of uh, violent means, bombing and all that. In those situations, yes, the law authorized the FBI and DOJ to investigate and prosecute, but not by a mere association, right? So, 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 uh, so you're you're out of sorry. Seattle, right? No, I'm not. Are you out of Seattle? Oh, okay. Go ahead, Josh. No, I'm 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 in East Coast. Well, you've talked about Seattle, but you remember the yes. Earth Liberation Front and the University of Washington and the FBI. You remember what they did? You know, who uh, they no, are? I'm, uh, I I did not. I appreciate you bringing it up. Uh, could you re repeat the so basically University of Washington and the FBI? Uh, Earth Liberation Front. Oh, okay. Um, so supposedly started a fire at the University of Washington um, in their forestry facility, and they uh -huh. were taken down by the FBI. So, I mean, when you think of climate activists, I mean, they're often not mentioned, um, but uh, they're probably the most important activists that are active today. Um, and they're mm -hmm. not as active as they used to be because the uh -huh. FBI did go after them and consider them domestic terrorists as they are considering mm -hmm. many people are domestic terrorists these days that are just fighting for the right to survive, for their people, or for the climate. Yeah, I totally agree. Because, you know, I'm going to go over this because uh, thoughts are not crimes. You have to have an actual action, a plan of action to do some real violent harm towards other people or the government. Then it's a criminal matter. Right. So, yeah, you're right. I appreciate you, you know, bringing it up to me, Joshua. So, so I want to just continue a little bit about what I just said, this association with the foreign countries or foreign entities or foreign nationals by racial minorities are almost routinely utilized by the FBI to target the racial minorities. No, uh, a famous Taiwanese uh, nuclear scientist, you know, he's a U.S. citizen, of course, just like myself. You know, he was uh, put into solitary uh, 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 confinement because the FBI know this uh, guy, Wen Ho Li, he visited China, even though he's from Taiwan. And they know that he, you know, he has downloaded the nuclear secret to his uh, home computer. And the FBI put him in a solitary confinement for two years tried to force him to confess that he did give the nuclear, nuclear secret to the Chinese, which he absolutely denied. Again, there's a lot of Chinese stories about what the FBI do. But what I'm trying to say is that this is what happened. If you're a white person, it's okay. You're not white, better be careful. Now, with this uh, O'Malley, uh, Yashitali's case is even more bizarre. As we all know, the Biden administration recently tried to establish so-called a disinformation czar. Right? We know about that. If you read the indictment 
of this Russian citizen who are purportedly associated with the Chairman Omali Yeshitali. Basically, this guy's crime is spreading disinformation that are causing divisions in America. I was like, the America is founded by disagreement with the king. The, 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 the founding fathers set up the First Amendment for free speech to have a disagreement. Disagreement is not, not necessarily disinformation. It's the whole dynamics, the whole process being has to be protected by the First Amendment. So who is the authority to determine whatever this Russian citizen said is a disinformation? or not this of disinformation? Is the FBI? And second question will be, how does the FBI determine that this information is originated in Russia? Could that Russian citizen is just, you know, retweeting some disinformation that are originally from maybe some other countries or you could be over, in America? We don't know that. It's just disinformation. It's bad. That's a crime. And then how does the FBI determine that disinformation is originated by the agents and the representatives of the Russian government? Could there be just a teenager has nothing better to do spreading some Facebook rumors? This teenager happened to living in Siberia of Russia, in some basement, get bored, did that. In the internet age, everyone can pass on information or disinformation. How do you know? First of all, it's a disinformation. Second, how do you know this disinformation is from Russia? And third, how do you know if it's from Russia, does it come from the Russian government? Of course, we're not happy if the foreign government interfere with our elections. But by the way, like I said earlier, we interfere other people's elections all the time. We send, like I said, a standing armies in the tens of thousands in other countries. Our Declaration of Independence specifically complained that British King is sending standing army in America, which we don't have anything to do with. We're interfering with everything. But we can, you know, we cannot even tolerate Facebook postings, especially when you use that to target domestic person, especially when they are not white people. So 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 that is profoundly wrong. So now I'm going to talk about. Chairman Yeshitala's strategy, because he talks about it. Again, thanks to Katie Halpern's work, she you know, gave uh, uh, Chairman Yeshitala a, a forum to talk about you know, what his thought process currently is. So he talked about this, that, that he, believe it or not, Chairman Yeshitala's strategy is very similar to that of Donald Trump. He used the word counter offense. He adamantly 
stated that he had done nothing criminal. And he also said he does not want to just sit here being attacked by FBI and the DOJ. He wants to have a, he called it counter-offensive. So in this segment, I want to talk about will that work under this colonialist justice system? The short answer is no. And here I'm going to explain. First of all, Trump already has exercised his option of a counter-offense. The counter-offense meaning you are not going to sit there, wait for the FBI and the DOJ to do their shit. You actually do a counter-attack. So this, uh, this past week, Trump has filed with the federal court that he wants a special master appointed to evaluate all those documents seized by FBI and distinguish them between what should be searched and what should never be searched. That's a very smart legal move. Okay, just, you know, of course, those are mainstream media on the left just saying, oh, these are nonsense, but no, it actually makes perfect sense. Because the Fourth Amendment actually have said the search has to be specific for the crime you're alleging. You cannot just have a, a broad general search warrant because it's so something called the general warrant is exactly what the British Army can do to Americans before the independence. And the Trump also, by doing so, he actually jumped uh, above that magistrate judge who signed the original search warrant. He actually went to a district court judge. A district court judge has to be nominated by a president and confirmed by Senate. A magistrate judge is a lower level of judge that do not need any Senate confirmation. And the, the, a regular federal court judge can override what that magistrate judge is saying. So if you Google that, you can tell that uh, as of yesterday, there's an inclination, this judge by the name of uh, Eileen Cannon, C-A-N-N-O-N, is inclined to grant Trump's request to have a special master, a, a separate person, to go through all those boxes of so-called evidence seized. That is actually a win. If this special master can put out a one or two or say 10 documents that are clearly not a nuclear secret of any secret document per se, then Trump immediately will attack saying, look, they search any shit. That's Trump. Okay. Now let's talk about Chairman O'Malley Yashitela strategy, counter offense. Will that work? Like I said, no. I'll tell you why. First of all, I want to bring another famous rich and white person who did the same thing. And his name is Paul Manafort. If you don't remember, Paul Manafort briefly was uh, Donald Trump's campaign manager. His house was searched. He is uh, accused of a tax evasion of $60 million million dollars. 
Paul Manafort also did a counter offense move. He actually sued the FBI while the FBI and DOJ indicted him. As you can tell, if you are white and you're rich, you have all kinds of legal options. Before Chairman Yashitala, his option will be limited because I have said before, this colonialist justice system, in this system, lawyers are legal profiteers. A lawyer is a capitalist. The goal of a capitalist is maximize profit. It's not to uphold the justice. Okay, lawyers includes government lawyers, those are prosecutors, and the judges, and the private lawyers. They belong to the same trade organization called the Bar Association. So guess what they will tell Chairman Yashitala? Because that's what a lot of lawyers told me when my house was raided and searched. They will tell the chairman, you have to wait for the DOJ to press charges against you. At this point, you cannot do any counter offense. You cannot sue the FBI right now. They will just tell you that's how the legal system works, even though that's not. Because I have said, as I've said, using Paul Manafort as example and Donald Trump as, as example, you actually can't do a counter legal action, which is a civil action because you are not a government. You, if you want to go after the government, you have to do a civil action. That's what Paul Manafort did. That is what uh, Trump is doing right now. Why these lawyers will tell Chairman Yashitela that? Because kaching the money. Because that's Quite a few lawyers told me the exact same thing. They will say, Peter, when you were searched by FBI, the government likely will press charges against you. Your job right now is to find the best possible criminal defense attorney and wait for the FBI to charge you. Okay? And they will tell you, oh, I know a few people who are very good at this, but they are very expensive. They will just tell you to be ready to get come up with a lot of money because you are in a shitload of trouble. Because guess what? The FBI is always right when it comes to national security matters. The DOJ can do no wrong. I talked about it last in the last episode of this uh, prosecutorial immunity. It's absolute. The, prosecute, the prosecutors can do pretty much anything they want. When it comes to national security, they can do anything they want and get away from it. The same with, with FBI. Okay, so they were, these are legal profiteers. Well, I'll give you an example. These uh, uh, a professor in MIT, I forgot his uh, name, too bad because uh, if he, he's a Chinese, if I know his Chinese name, I would remember, but it's uh, all you know, spelled out in the letter. So, but he was, uh, arrested and charged and uh, I have the inside tracks to learn that he has to raise 
$400,000 for his legal defense. $400,000. Is that justice? It's not. I know, I know, do know that his uh, charges against him was dropped eventually. But think about all the commotions and think, think about all the stress and all that that happened. Okay? But however, the lawyer will tell you, the profiteers, the legal profiteers will tell you, you just have to wait to get charged. So Chairman Yashitala's strategy, likely even though he wanted to go counter-offense, his lawyers would say, no, you cannot do that. Very few civil rights lawyers will touch his case because it's a national security matter. Okay? They, they will feel lucky that they actually tell you they are not surveil you without a warrant. Very, very few. I will say none. So let, now I'm going to comment about just the entire this colonialist justice system. Lawyers are legal profiteers. They'll just say, you have to wait till you get charged. Even though they know, should the government press charges against you, you, will, you are entitled to go through a jury trial, trial by 12 peers. Think of that. When you sue FBI, you are also demanding a jury trial, meaning 12 peers of yours to look at the same set of facts and the laws and let these 12 person of equals could decide who is guilty and who is not. You would think for, you know, it's the same thing. Why you want to do two different proceedings? There's no law, there's no statute, there's nothing in the constitution that prevents you from saying, okay, the criminals are not me. The criminals are the FBI. When that happened, why not a citizen can commence a civil action against the government? There's no written statute prohibit that. Who established that? The Bar Association, the courts, the judges. Like I said in the last episode, there's no such thing as absolute prosecutorial immunity. Who established that? The courts. The police get away from killing unarmed persons for the longest time. Who established qualified immunity? It's not written in any law. Never written in the Constitution. The courts established that. So now let's think about the makeup of the FBI. Like I said always, the FBI's headquarter is named J. Edgar Hoover building. So that's already a not good sign. And you can imagine the FBI, where those FBI agents got recruited from, from the local cops. Bad local cops make bad 
FBI agent. My idea to say, majority of the FBI agents are white, right? So if you go on to the Katie Helper show, uh, they had a lot of uh, video footage of uh, the raid of this uh, African People's Socialist Party. Well, uh, and uh, you can tell the makeup of those FBI agents, predominantly white. I think I, I saw probably one or two black faces. Okay, who get promoted to the FBI? Local cops. Now let's talk about the judges in this colonialist justice system. Who made the judges? The career path of those judges are actually from the government prosecutors. What's the racial breakdown of your local prosecutors? Whites. They got promoted to become usually magistrate judge first, like the judge who signed the search warrant on Donald Trump's residence. These, these are called the magistrate judge. They do not need Senate confirmation. They do not need presidential nomination. And then from there, they become federal judges. Once again, this whole scheme of white person being following a career path from local cops, good, bad, or ugly, be promoted to the FBI. And at the same time, you have these prosecutors who has, by the way, absolute immunity of any wrongdoings, be promoted to a massive judge and then a federal judge. That's the complete inner working of this colonialist justice system. It will be okay if the citizens of the United States are all white person. I think the justice system will work fine. The problem again is this. Chairman Omali Yashitela's organization calls for reparation. Their approach is a global approach, meaning they do have association with the foreign nationals, foreign entities. They never hide that. That made them a very easy target. So going back to this segment is that, it's true, Chairman Yashtala wants to have a counter offense right now. He literally is asking for donations and he specifically asked for legal assistance to do it. Whether he's gonna get it, I doubt it. I don't think he's gonna get it. Like I said, it's a national security matter. It's very similar to Julia Assange's situation. It's very similar to Edward Snowden's situation. Is in a sense is that the government is pursuing a political activist. Okay? But the sad part is this. Edward Snowden has lawyers. Julian Assange has lawyers. In, in my opinion, because they are white. In all my episode, I've said, a lot of this so-called, I call them ins civil insurrectionists. They are insurrectionists, but they are not violent. The leaker of the Supreme Court draft on Dobbs' decision, that person is a civil 
insurrectionist. Edward Snowden is a civil insurrectionist. Daniel Ellsberg is a civil insurrectionist. They did everything possible civilly to make a political statement. But these are white. They, you know, they will not do so-called weather underground, which is a violent group, all white violent group. But for Chairman O'Malley Yeshtala, his predicament is that he probably have to sit there waiting for charges. And even if the charges were to be dropped, he usually will not have any legal remedy for what happened to him. What happened to him is pretty bad. If you go to the Kate, Katie Halper show, you will see the footage and the accounts by them. Okay. So, so now I'm going to go to the conclusion. A colonialist justice system is a capitalist justice, justice system made of legal profiteers, including prosecutors, that's government lawyers, private lawyers, and the judges. They are supported by law enforcement, supported also by lawmakers. Remember, just Google it. Most of the lawmakers are lawyers. They make laws, laws to, to, to benefit their trade. The more laws, the better for the lawyers, the worse for the people, and the freedom of the people. Okay? They are also supported by private industries, such as the prison industries, right? Maybe some military complex as well, right? As the, our arms industry produces more arms, we'll have surplus of arms. What do we do with those uh, militarized equipment? We give it to the cops, local cops, the FBI, even the IRS. Maybe the IRS will be armed with the machine guns when they knock on your door because you owe $20,000 taxes. Right? So, like I said, very likely Chairman Yashitala will be subject to indictment through this process, okay? Because historically, this colonialist justice system is very keen on suppressing racial minority groups' political aspiration. For a black person, thoughts are crimes. Let me repeat, for a black person, or maybe a Chinese person or Hispanic, thoughts are crimes. You know, I want I don't want to you know drag too much of it. This is a famous case called uh, Emmett Tills, who allegedly whistled to a white woman. At the worst, that conduct is a thought crime. At the worst, he didn't do anything to that white woman. He might have a thought. That's why he whistled. That itself is a crime. The counter-offense that Chairman Yashitala wanted, as he declared, is almost impossible. You know, we will wait and see. 
unless you are a Paul Manafort who has tons of money, or Donald Trump, being rich and being white. Okay, so more comments when we when I conclude this. I have said in the past that I observe a complete disconnect between the African Americans and the Africans. To use persons as an example, famous person, Colin Cabinet, despite what he does, did, which I may not agree anyway, is not Muhammad Ali. Cabinet has no global perspective. Muhammad Ali is an international champion for justice and peace. Muhammad Ali has traveled globally extensively. So that's one observation. Another observation, which I do want to share with you all, which is the first time you probably never heard of this. Chairman Yashitella in, on the Katie Hopper show has mentioned this, which I find out very, very enlightening because I thought about this before. Is that racial injustice in this country, even though we, you know, you heard a tons of things about this thing called the criminal justice reform, blah, blah, blah. The racial injustice actually started with the civil matters, not criminal matters. Like I've said, the first slavery is established by a court from a dispute of indentured labor. Three indentured laborers escaped. Apparently they don't like the term or the working condition in a plantation. Two whites, one black, escaped. When they get caught, John Punch, the black person, was sentenced to be slavery, to be a slave. That's the very first documented slave case established by the court. It's a civil matter. Not because John Punch killed someone or steal some money. He's unhappy with the employment conditions in today's time. Another example, Malcolm X's father. Malcolm X in his biography described that his father was killed. His father is a very industrious man. He bought life insurance for him, for himself and for his family, I guess. But the insurance company refused to pay the widower, Malcolm X's mother. As you probably know, a lot of bad things happen afterwards. In a sense, it's a good thing because literally it's the racial injustice in the civil matter created the Malcolm X. You can say it that way. But it shows that so-called white privilege actually started with a civil matter, not a criminal matter. I said this because the Chairman Yashitala, while on the Katie Halber show, told his story. 
back in the 1966, if I remember correctly, he was uh, organizing a protest against uh, a painting on the government building depicting African-Americans in a very derogatory way. So he worked with this uh, African-American lady who speak imperfect English, like myself. But she complained a great deal about back in 1968, which is maybe, say, 30s or 20-some years after the death of Malcolm X's father, right? Her complaint is that she know of a lot of African-Americans who bought life insurance. But when they died, the health insurance company, uh, the, the, the life insurance company would not pay out, out of the policy. Again, these are the civil matters. Why the, ins the life insurance company dare to do that? Because they know the entire bar association, including the private lawyers, I call the legal profiteers, and the judges will protect them. Right? So this is what Mr. Chairman Yashitella taught me in his statement. Because I personally learned about this in around 2014. In around 2014, there's a lot of discussion about this term called the criminal justice reform. So I was in an elevator with the two black lawyers. I did not ask their name because the elevator is about to take us from the third floor to the 11th floor of the Chancery Court in Delaware. It's a very short elevator ride. I only captured one, converse, one exchange with them. So one of these lawyers says, talking about criminal justice system, in the civil proceedings, basically, African-Americans got screwed all the time. So this is what I have personally experienced. That's the so-called racial injustice. It's actually not just the criminal justice system. It's actually start from the civil matters. Why I say that? Because if you look at the option of a chairman Yashitela right now, he literally have no option on the civil side of things. He, I don't think he will be able to come up with a civil action against FBI and DOJ right now. Because all the legal profiteers will tell him that you have to wait, you have to wait for the indictment, grand jury subpoena, and get a lawyer, the best lawyer for yourself, because it's a national security matter, nobody's gonna to touch it. So that, in a nutshell, is what I want to say today. So this something called the judicial white privilege, it started with the civil matters, not criminal matters. We don't just need a criminal justice reform. We need a complete overhaul of the entire colonialist justice system. Okay, so that in a nutshell is you know what I want to talk about today. Uh, I welcome any comments or let me check some comments.
<laughs> okay. Yeah, this uh, someone's asking this guy never do poly day. No, I do not know what this may mean, but he thought this is for the African People's Socialist Party. No, this is more talking about the interaction or the upcoming interaction between this black organization with with the uh, justice system of this country. I think it's going to be worth watching for the reasons this. As I said before, the political bias of the FBI against Trump and against me and against this group called the African People's Socialist Party are deep-rooted since the founding of the FBI, okay? Because just look at what J. Edgar Hoover did. I have discussed, if not in the last episode, but in the one of those recent episodes that you read that book uh, called The Enemies, The History of FBI. It's a very good book. That book explains very well that FBI actually is not a law enforcement agency, especially the counterintelligence division of the FBI and the DOJ. They are not law enforcement. They are spy agencies. When you are dealing with a spy, you can use pretty much anything. Right? I remember this Trump organization's uh, associates uh, George Papa, Papa uh, he has a Greek name, George Papadoulos. He said in the Russia in, in, interference investigation, the FBI actually sent a bombshell blonde person try to, you know, get this George to say he is doing some work on behalf of the Russian government. In a counterintelligence investigation, it's very different from a law enforcement. Law enforcement operation involving a crime have actually occurred first. Someone is dead or some property was stolen. Okay? Then there's a crime. Then when there's a crime, then you have an establishment of an investigation of that crime. And then you have people involved, it's called the law enforcement. A counterintelligence organization, it's like a, it's a war-like of operation. We know the enemy has sent a spy into this country. Therefore, we're going to wiretap anyone who suspected being an enemy spy. We don't even need a search warrant for that. That's what the FBI and the DOJ has been doing since Edgar Hoover's time. Right? You do not, you know, in those situations, you can imagine, just to have a thought is enough to be considered an enemy of the United States. Just have a thought of reparation. Because, you know, reparation, the topic is a very divisive, divisive, right? The fact that this African People's Socialist Party making, is making Reparation as their key mission, that's a divisive. That itself 
is, you know, not kosher with the white majoritarian democracy. So therefore, under the National Security Authority, they can pretty much do whatever they want. So that's why I want to talk about this uh, 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 African Socialist People's Socialist Party. So not only I want to criticize the government, as I have also criticized, which is a fact that there is just a complete disconnect between the African-Americans and the Africans in today's state of affairs, which is a tragedy, which is a tragedy. Okay, because uh, like I said before, if you believe Americans' policy overseas is too imperialistic, too colonialistic, it's very likely whatever the US government does overseas, they're gonna do the same thing domestically. So in my opinion, especially considering the US Supreme Court in the past did approve these unconstitutional practices by the US government overseas, being in the Puerto Rico's, being in Guam, being in other countries, being having a large standing armies in other sovereign nations, which is completely against independence, the De Declaration of Independence. Now, since the court already approved it, then we probably have to reconsider what this court is. Is it a really a constitutional court? Or is it just a national security court, right? So that is what I want to you know, stress. So Amanda, Amanda you're on. Good morning. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate, oh, good morning. I appreciate your uh, perspective on all of this stuff. And one of the things that I just wanted to elevate or magnify is, and I've heard it, I don't know if it was Ben Norton or Aaron Monte or maybe somebody that was a guest on um, Revolutionary Tracks, but, but that there's no real transnational movement for people like a transnational left movement. And this is the same thing you're saying with the, the, the solidarity of, uh, with the Africans and African Americans and trying to get that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah? That's yeah, right. exactly. That it's I actually, insular you're, you're, within, you're in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Too selfish. No, I will not use the too selfish. Selfish, yeah. basically. Yeah. Just, just keep I it plain. No, Make I, it think this, I think this I is definitely warranted in this case. Can you hear me okay? Yes. A little okay. bit on and off, but, but I'm good. I can hear you perfectly. Okay, yeah. I just I just unplugged my headset, which I know has been a problem before. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. So, like, I will give you an example. I have recently, I think, uh, who come out and say this? Which I oh, this is Swedish guy showed up in this uh, YouTube channel by uh, uh, Clay Morris, uh, Clayton Morris. Uh, this Swedish professor literally just come out and say it is immoral for the developed countries to force the African countries not to use fossil or uh, foil. I kind of agree because I thought about when China declared that they no longer is going to build any coal power plant, coal power plant for the African countries. I disagree. 
I do believe African peoples have their rights to do whatever development they want to do. Well, and I think and, uh, I think I think also that that people on the left in the United States who are feeling completely fucked over by their country right now. Yep. Speaking yep. for myself specifically and other mm -hmm. people generally that I've talked to and people on the right that are like, what the motherfuck is going on around here? I yeah. think that if we were able to have a transnational movement for people that are like, what the fuck, one percenters, get off of your fucking high horse, because then then it gives, we're not trying, so one of the things that, you've radicalized me both times I've listened to this show, my friend, so, and I was already, <laughs> and I was already pretty damn radical, so, so I'm, I'm just going to say thank you very much for that. But it, but no, I appreciate it. I, I, I know you're a woman, Amanda. I appreciate you listening because uh, I talked to a lawyer friend of mine. We talk about the Dobbs decision. My yeah. last episode about is why Dobbs decision is a repeat of a Dred Scott. He actually agreed with me. This is a lawyer who practiced law for 35 years and he's in his 70s. Yeah. And played uh, racquetball with Joe Biden. And he agreed with me. He said, I said, look, you lawyers never talk about this. It's because you are looking for a kaching kaching. Right. You are not really stand up say slavery is bad. I do not see a lawyer saying slavery is bad. No, because you, know? you have to defend whoever your client is. And your client yeah. might think that slavery is good. So you can't it, take a position. But that's that's just such a bogus, it's such a bogus construct. Yep. It makes yep. them. So, you it, know, I, it makes yeah. them. It makes it easier for them to be complicit in the system that they are part of. Yeah, it's a, it's a profit seeking. It's their goal as a trade, as a trade association. It's not upholding the justice. So you know, right. I because uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't want you to you know, I mean, I talk about this intellectually. I don't advocate violence whatsoever. Right. And as you can tell, I'm also saying, no, this is actually bad for the right also, because the entire government is breaking down. No one respect law yep. it, because the, the laws are just a political excuses or weaponry. Yep. Right. You know, when nobody respect law, the entire country is lawless. Right. You know, this is so very sad. You know, this is, I came to America 30 some years ago. I respect tremendously America. I mean, I, 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 you know, you've I seen some change them. too, though. The early 90s were definitely a different time to be in the United States. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. I need to find out because uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Amanda, this is again a uh, totally uh, very, uh, loose imagination of mine, okay? I always wonder <laughs> how come Americans have turned, has behaved this way, you know? So a lot of people say it's a social media cost people. No, I actually think it's a food. I actually believe American has consumed too much food that I grow out of a <laughs> hormones from animals, okay? I actually thought that way. You know, I, I want to find some scientific proof that's the case. That that's why people getting so, I don't know how to say them. And so they're just not, uh, anyway. Uh, no, but I do. I do not advance any violent means. I'm just saying the law, the justice system, yes, is yes. a source of injustice. 
Yeah. That's extremely oxymoron. It's not sustainable. And, uh, you know, you can have a communist society. You can have a completely green energy society. But when the law is not being able to upheld justice, then we are not going to have any peace in this country. Right. Correct. Right. So, so, you know, you can have a communist, social, whatever. Okay. You left, right. Whatever you want to do. You have to uphold the law, uphold the law. Equally. I'm not left or right. I'm above. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I call it a transcendentalist. I mean, we, I, I transcend any religion, any politics. I want you know, to be the new transcendentalist, man. You yeah. and me, Peter, let's start it. The new transcendentalist. Because uh, <laughs> I think a third party can be uh, established just strictly to go after the justice system reform party. We're going and to vote out all the lawyers. Anti-imperialism. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, sorry. Anti-imperialism. Yeah, exactly. Another thing we could organize yeah. around and there's a lot of people on the left that don't even know what imperialism is yet no so like i think i mentioned to you uh, last time is that you know this guy uh african people is a socialist party they advocate for reparation right i personally for the longest time thought that reparation is a good aspiration but not doable meaning that you can it's difficult to practice but it's only recently after I researched this case called the Brown v. Board of Education. And another case done by a friend of mine who is a lawyer in the Chancery Court of Delaware. I was like, well, actually, now I can tell why reparation is not just morally required. It's legally required. And more importantly, it's doable. Now, is the left is going to talk about it? No. They talk about reparation to get votes. When I talk about reparation, I'm talking about what justice, how justice can be done for our yes. imperialist past and the, and, and the colonialist past. Yes. These are not, the, the left will never pay attention to this. The M- MSNBC, the CNN, these, what I'm talking about, they will say, oh, this guy's crazy, don't listen to him. But what I'm talking about is just from the legal perspective, from the history of the law, from in England and in this country, why reparation actually is legally possible and doable. So, uh, but that's I, another topic for you know for for another day. A very good topic, but yes, I, I I agree. So one of the other things that occurred to me as you were speaking about about the African Socialist Party reaching out to. Um, their comrades overseas was, you know, thinking about how insular the United States has been and how I remember, gosh, when did that propaganda start? Maybe in the 90s about how North Koreans were starving and nobody had good internet and nobody had a good job. They were all suffering awfully because their leader would not let them connect to the wider world and how horrible is that well but we essentially do this to ourselves we're isolating ourselves we don't look at international news most americans i'm just going to say maybe not the ones in this room but most americans have a hard time naming more than 15 or 16 countries on a blank globe Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know. And if they mm-hmm. do, they're probably the European ones. Even if they're not white people, they probably know the European ones because mm-hmm. of the way that the culture is just so absorbed with sometimes it seems like. Anyway, I, d- I just wanted to no, add, you, you, add you're that. Right. I mean, uh, give you no, you're right. No, this is great. Actually, I, I just realized something. I need to share this with you and the other audience as well. If you really dislike the United States foreign policy since the since the end of the Second World War, I I strongly encourage because this is just a crazy idea of mine. Okay, Amanda, especially you are very anti-imperialistic. I really hope someone, especially Amanda, you mentioned you are a educator, you were a teacher, you are a retired teacher. Yes, I wish teacher, same, same, uh, uh, okay. same word. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Hey, a teacher, the job is to enlighten uh, her students, right? So I really wish someone in America can translate the Declaration of Independence in relation to those countries where there's a standing army in that country. That can be Germany. That can be Poland. That can be Japan, that can be Korea, that can be Philippines. Just giving them an idea. Oh, by the way, uh, when Ho Chi Minh went bombastic of fighting the Americans in his country, he literally just followed the Declaration of Independence of the United States. He does not want a standing army, a foreign army in his country. Unless you get rid of a standing army from a foreign country, you are not a sovereign nation. If those language in the Declaration of Independence can be translated to Germany, to to Polish, you know, to Chinese, uh, no, no, not Chinese, sorry, to Korean, to, to Japan, explaining how bad the standing army can be, because uh, this guy is Scott Ritter, on YouTube, the other day I watched him, he just blast the US military overseas. Basically, they are the source of all the social ills, sexual assault, alcoholism, all kinds of shit. That's what the British soldiers did to the Americans, right? Right, right. So translate those to teach the local people, say, no, guess what? You are not a sovereign com- country unless you get rid of the standing army in your country, from another country. Because that's what the American proud to call democracy. Right, so let me take uh, Derek yeah. uh, in the group. Thank you for your conversation. I appreciate it, Peter. Oh, thank you. Let me let me get the Derek up. I pre- hey, Derek. Hi. Hey. Um, I appreciate it, thanks. Um, I don't want to go too far off topic, uh, but while it's fresh in my head and it was brought up briefly at least, um, I highly recommend that people look into HR 40 um, uh, on the issue of reparations. Um, It seems like this is off the radar for a lot of people and things get a lot more interesting. Um, the debate becomes much more realistic and like tangible. Um, so yeah, HR 40, 
then I would also look into SB 619. Um, HR 40, I'm not sure what HR stands for. I think it's <clears throat> House recommendation, but I'm not sure. Um, but mm -hmm. it's a congressional bill uh, to mm -hmm. look into reparations in a, in a very specific way, like an, an, an analysis of exactly what should be done regarding reparations. Uh -huh. um, and that was done recently. Um, mm -hmm. the, recently. Uh, I, I, will allow, I, I will have mm -hmm. you continue, but I want, I want to uh, inject a little bit here, okay? Sure. Like I said earlier, on this show, eventually, it's probably in the last episode, where I'm going to criticize Brown v. Board of Education and talk about reparation. And uh, I have uh, studied this reparation topic for a while now because I'm a non-believer in reparation to start with until I find, you know, a legal remedy, uh, approach legally how it's been done. Right. I am pretty sure all these lawmakers doing on the Senate and in the, in the, in the, in the Congress are politicking. They are not, uh, uh, and, uh, and this is the first thing. So I will be getting a hold of those bills, the draft of it, and I will have to incorporate what you just said into my episode when that when it comes, right? But the one thing I've said already, and I said it again, when there's a such disconnect between the African Americans in this country and the Africans in the continent of Africa, there will be no meaningful reparation whatsoever. In fact, the European uh, NATO, the European countries, two of them, already is starting paying reparation, being France and Germany, to uh, two African countries. Now, all of a sudden, the entire resources of the European countries, plus a whole bunch of resources in America, is going to be used to support the Ukraine war. It totally sucked up all the resources for reparation, both by the European countries to the African countries and America to the African countries and the American government to the domestic African-Americans. So from that big picture, I'm very sure that two bill goes go nowhere. Okay, I will, however, as I have promised, I am going to incorporate these two bills or whatever shape or form they will be in, where I'm going to talk about reparation, right? Now you understand why you know, I use, I do this show using a pseudo name. This is not my real name. For the reasons that these are extremely sensitive topics, but mm -hmm. I want to keep it straight. I want to keep it dead in the middle. If I'm talking about reparation, not because I hate white people or like prefer black people over white people, no. I'm just saying from a legal perspective, from the, for the interest of justice, for the, you know, for the interest of justice and the peace in this country and to the world, sure. there should be reparation, right? So no, it's not a political statement or work that I'm doing. I'm just saying, hey, I think this is doable. That why this is legally should be done and how legally this can be done. So that to me is a meaningful material contribution to the topic, not some politicking because I want to run for office and all that. Right, yeah. But I, go I ahead, I don't mean to cut you, go ahead. 
No, I, I think you're right. There's a lot of uh, politicking. Um, there's a lot. There are all kinds of motivations behind everything every politician says or does. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. To me, uh, you know, like HR forty represents uh, not necessarily you know something that uh, politicians have to offer. I think it it represents a sort of direction that has been pushed by people uh, with the best of intentions. Um, I think it's the right mindset to go about uh, pursuing reparations in the way that you're describing. That's that's legally that's meant to you know. Um, provide justice where justice needs to be provided, um, long overdue, obviously. Um, and it's uh, <clears throat> more of a, a specific kind of approach instead of this large categorical kind of statement approach. This, this has uh, a feeling of going in and really obtaining the facts, obtaining the figures, uh, looking for the evidence, that sort of thing. Uh, the SB 619 bill, I think that was specific to the state of Oregon. I think it was Senate bill, but like the state Senate. Um, that was more of a direct approach. Um, but I, that has the feeling of, like you're saying, politicking, but it's still interesting. Um, and I think people should look at it because it could be, that sort of approach I think could be pursued as well. Uh, maybe. Uh, it could be looked at in a different way so that it, it becomes less political and more, you know, authoritative, more, more accomplishable, easier to accomplish. Um, yes. Anyway, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, just quick, I was going to recommend, um, I stumbled across uh, a great source for information on this issue for anybody that feels like it over on Clubhouse. Uh, there's a a room or a club, I don't know the difference, I'm new to it, but it's called Millennial Reparationists, and there are a lot of people in there with very, very okay. passionate ideas okay. and thoughts okay. on the subject. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'd be happy to engage in any conversation with uh, any group uh, uh, on that. As you can tell, Derek, from my uh, all the past episode I'm doing, uh, I, uh, my Number one concern is really is that I think our justice system not, uh, is in a complete breakdown right now because th that shook the foundation of this country, whether you're talking about reparation or you're talking about climate change, right? So before a court can, the justice system can be straightened out, in other words, what I'm trying to say is this. I calls for immediate reform, complete overhaul of the justice system, such as removing this so-called lifetime appointment of the judges, you know, a whole bunch mm -hmm. of other things, okay? Before I want to touch the topic of reparation, I will give you an example, okay? The climate change. Oh, sorry, actually, I should do, go with this student loan forgiveness, right? As you know, there's already argument, legal argument, that President Joe Biden or any president have no statutory authority to forgive student loan debt. That is true. 
Only the Congress has the power to tax and spend. Okay, so reparation. Okay, before we touch that, let, oh, I'm gonna find out what happened to the litigation about the student loan forgiveness. Okay, so so that that just give you one example, right? Uh, another example is climate change. Like I always say, I want to put everything in global perspective. Sure. If yeah. you are, uh, so I'm going to use the climate change. Okay. If okay. you're a racial minority in this country, and right, if you bought an unimproved land somewhere in this country, there's a lot of environmental regulation that prohibits you what to do with your land, your land, even though it's your land, it's your property. But guess what? A lot of white residents already has buildings or septic systems that are in violation of a current environmental regulation. But as you as a Johnny come lately, a racial minority who bought a piece of land in that area, the environmental law will be used to prohibit you to build something that are equally, you will have an equal impact to the environment. So you cannot do it, but the white residents, they call it grandfathered. Mm -hmm. You know that concept, right? So it's a climate. Is that justice? No, it's not. Do we protect, should we protect the environment? I don't give a fuck about the environment if you do it that way. How dare you, again, I want to bring this global perspective. How dare a white country can tell a black country in Africa, say, you cannot burn fossil fuel. You should not buy any internal combustion engine cars because Al Gore from Tennessee of America says so. Right. right. Fuck you, Al Gore. I don't give a fuck. Mm. Right? So, so, so this is where I said that law is meant to keep justice and keep peace. I start this show is uh, with an incident called the Black Rage shootings. This country is breaking down. So we are at, I don't want to get to the point there's no point of return to normalcy. You know, you look at the DOJ was doing, and FBI doing to the Trump uh, and to the this African People's Socialist Party. The law is never supposed to be a political tool, but it has always been almost, right? So that is, you know, what I, you know, what I, what I want to uh, uh, stress to the audience and the public. So sure. let me see who else. So I appreciate it. And uh, now if nobody else, uh, I'm going to close out for today. Uh, I always do this at 11 o'clock on Sunday for the reasons that I do follow the football games. So, and uh, I usually want to get it done by one o'clock and I uh, appreciate all of you attending. And uh, like I said, I'm going to focus on the justice system, the courts, why the courts are the source of racial oppression and why this must be changed right now. And and I hope you go, you guys can spread the the message for for, for me, and uh, I will be back to the uh, adopts decision uh, uh, hopefully soon, hopefully soon. All right. So thanks everyone, and have a great rest of your Sunday. Bye now.